This is Spilled Ink. What's the story that sticks out most in your head if you have one? Oh, man, I remember everyone coming in and, and dropping acid to start the day one day. And I remember watching these guys tattoo, knowing that they were tripping on acid. Just thinking like, oh my God, this is insane. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Spilled Ink. Today I have Jake Meeks from Memphis, Tennessee. Jake's been tattooing for the past 23 years and is also the host of Fireside Tattoo Podcast, which I frequently listen to. Well, thanks. (laughs) I'm actually very excited, I just told you, to have you on today because I get the best of both the tattooing world and the podcast world. So thanks for being here, Jake. Man, yeah, thanks for the invite. Yeah, excited to do it. Is it weird being on the other side of the coin, going from host to guest? Yeah, I've done this a couple of times now, and it is a little bit strange. You know, just not controlling the flow of the conversation is the only difference, I guess. Right. How was it when you first started, uh, like, your first couple episodes? How did that go for you? Were you nervous? Yeah, you know know the funny thing? I I wasn't nervous until I actually sat in front of the camera. I never even considered it. I had been listening to some podcasts, and at that point, you know, this was uh, 2013. There weren't a lot. I mean, there were no other real tattoo podcasts. There weren't that many even art-focused podcasts, so I had heard, like, Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss, and they made it seem really natural. Right. Or they sounded like they were just kind of hanging out with their friends. And I was like, oh, well, that's what I'll do. You know, for the first few episodes, it was just me and my buddy David. So it was more of a just the two of us, like a discussion podcast. It wasn't an interview podcast. So I didn't think I was going to struggle with it. But as soon as I sat in front of a camera and looked into it, I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. Like, I completely <laughs> underestimated this. Yeah, I got all cotton mouth and stuff. They make it sound so easy. It's true. Yeah, it's yeah. True. But at least you have like a lot of experience, like in the game, like, you know what you're talking about. Like, I'm still a baby. Yeah, well, by some means yeah you you are how long have you been tattooing i've only been tattooing for like four and a half years oh okay yeah. man wow and you start that's awesome you started a podcast four and a half years into tattooing you i think you'll grow so much faster doing that i've been i've been tattooing for like 20 years when we start maybe not quite that long 18 years or something like that when we started and i th- kind of had this idea that i knew everything it was on the front end of social media and on instagram i didn't even have an instagram when i started fireside so i really, really? didn't know what the best yeah <laughs> i really didn't even know what the best tattooers in the world were doing so i had this kind of like false sense that i knew everything right and so i get on you know i get in front of this camera and i start like blabbing about everything i know and then at the same time i'm meeting people that are obviously so much better than me <laughs> in every respect and i was like what am i doing talking on this podcast i have no idea what i'm talking about. <laughs> yeah well that's something that i wanted to do too i just wanted to get like more involved in the industry and like you yeah. said these dudes at conventions are just so intimidating that like they have yeah. so many years in the game so i figured that i could get involved this way and just like yeah, learn their stories right man it's great and you, and you find you learn from like from everyone. I've, I've had so many interviews now with these guys that have only been tattooing four, five, six years, and they're awesome. And it's so intimidating to be around like a kid that's been doing it a quarter of the time that you have, and they're like infinitely better than you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how's that? How's that been? Like when you first got your Instagram and you saw all these tattoos, like how did that make you feel? Uh, like insufficient. You know, I really <laughs> felt like <laughs> I really felt like uh, I, you know, I, I was I've been at the same shop for like thirteen or fourteen years at that point. Um, and, and I was comfortable with what everyone there was doing. And we all kind of like, I don't know that we really pushed each other that much. Everyone was just like comfortable with what they did. Right. And, uh, and, and, and so it made me comfortable with what I did. And it wasn't until I got out and saw what other people were doing. And I was like, right. Yeah. You were just like hanging out, like just, yeah. Yeah. Putting out good tattoos. 
So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I thought they were good. They were mediocre. I just thought they were <laughs> <laughs> I actually wanted to ask you that because your Instagram handle is plug ugly art. And I'm sure you've yeah. answered this question a bunch of times, but why plug ugly art? Yeah, um, it, it's I. So I used to play. Uh, I used to play in bands uh, in high school and in my early 20s, and and we had a band called the Plug Uglies, and I always loved the name. I, the Plug Uglies. They were in the Gangs of New York movie, or maybe there was it was a New York gang in okay. the 20s. I may be wrong about that, but I just loved the name Plug Ugly, and I thought it. Uh, translated well to visual art so i just uh, i kind of stuck with it there was no real reason and, you know at that time it, like i said i was just getting used to the idea of instagram and social media and i didn't realize that your handle would be what people recognized you by right. I, I didn't see that coming you know so i put that as just like a handle not really thinking that people would know me that way and uh, nowadays i like meet people and i don't know their actual names and then when they tell me their instagram handle i'm like oh yeah i've been following <laughs> you for years <laughs> i think it's a great name honestly <laughs> oh well, thanks name. yeah so uh, for our listeners uh, who don't know who you are, why don't you let them know like how you got into the world of art and how to transition into tattooing for you because you've been around for a while. Yeah, so I started tattooing in 96. But like everybody, I think, in tattooing, I, I just drew my whole life growing up. I just through like elementary school, high school, and um, actually started tattooing uh, before I went to art school. I went to art college at Memphis College of Art as a painting major, but I had already been tattooing a year or two whenever I started art school. You know, at that point, I didn't really know that tattooing was a real, like, it wasn't much of an art at that point, I guess. Uh, you know, I knew people that did tattoos, but for the most part, the tattooers that I knew didn't draw particularly well. They right. didn't have, like, a background in drawing. Okay. So, uh, so I didn't feel super pressured to be able to draw that well. For the most part, we were, like, tattooing Flash, and uh, I was just trying to mimic things that other people were doing. And so it wasn't until I started art school and began painting more and more, and I came across people like Guy Aitchison or... You know, Nick Baxter a little bit later, guys that were bringing stuff from the fine art world into tattooing. Right. That I was like, oh, okay, there's more to it than just what I've been doing. Yeah, they so, brought it uh, to the next level. Yeah, yeah. They, they were introducing ideas. Because when I started tattooing, it was like, you do all your line work, and then you thicken your lines. You know, you get your line weights where you want them, and then you do your gray shading, and then do your color, and then you're done. Right. And and I, there was no, like, question about that. There was no in-between. And, and and so whenever I saw, like, Guy coming back with a liner at the end of the tattoo and, like, creating textural effects or just, like, bumping his fills up against his lines, you know, just to make sure that they were nice and tight and everything was real solid, I was like, oh, I didn't even know we were allowed to do that. I thought... <laughs> I thought once I went to the mag, I just had to stay at the mag. Right. You know, that's so. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, uh, so meeting those guys, like, and seeing what they were doing, I was like, oh, okay. There's, there's way more to explore in this medium. Right. And, and then the podcast helped me that much more, just being around guys. The one thing, um, and I think you'll find too, if you if you keep doing this, is that um, you'll find that you you end up in situations where you're like. I wouldn't have gotten here without this show. For example, like I've, I've been twice, I've been up to Guy Aitchison's studio um, just to like hang out and watch him tattoo and talk about tattoos and just sit over his shoulder while he's tattooing all day. That's awesome. Yeah. There's no way without Fireside, I could have been able to do that. There, right. There's no reason he would have like allowed it. So <laughs> that kind of stuff has really helped me. You know, the, the, the podcast has helped me so much. That's it's awesome. crazy. So like, what was your apprenticeship like? Cause I would imagine like my apprenticeship and your apprenticeship are like, completely different end of the spectrum what was it like back yeah then? um yeah well it, mine was it was a kind of a street shop a biker shop uh like i said no one could draw there was no real drawing instruction or anything like that it was uh it was a pick them and stick them like biker kind of shop in fact I, I barely tattooed there my job was to uh make stencils so i would pull flash off the walls and, and make line drawings out of it or if it was 
you know, if it was a banner, I would lay the text in the banner or, you know, like it was, it was right. like real minimal, like modifications. So it was rare that I even got to see uh, tattoos happen. Like for the most part, I was sitting at the light table at the drawing table and just making line drawings for stencils and just sticking them on a cork board. And the next artist that came up would just grab it, grab the client and go back and do it. There was no like, you didn't wow. get to pick your artist much <laughs> at that point. It was just whoever did it, did it. Right. Whoever was and, that. um, yeah. And, uh, beyond that, we live kind of close with, within a half hour of the, uh, of, of a Navy base. So a lot of my apprenticeship was just spent driving, like picking, like basically being an Uber driver before Uber. I was just running and picking up Navy kids and bringing them to the shop and they would sit all day and then I would drive them back. So it was, a uh, not ideal. You know, I didn't learn a lot from it. That's cool um, though. That's definitely a cool story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was probably a real common apprenticeship at that point. Uh, right. And it's part of the reason that I ended up starting the podcast because I just uh, thinking about coming up in that environment. I was like, God, man, there was no chance to learn anything there. How long did you stay there? Uh, I stayed there through my apprenticeship, maybe a little less than a year. I, I saved up some money. I bought an autoclave and I started tattooing out of my house for the next like two or three years. Awesome. Just making huge mistake after huge mistake, and uh, but at least I was sterile. So that was good. I, I did have an autoclave in my kids. <laughs> That's awesome. Did you have any like cool things happen at the shop? Because you said you worked at a biker shop. I can imagine like the characters that must have ran through. Yeah. There. So yeah, what's like your most? Exactly. What's the story that sticks out most in your head if you have one? Oh man, I remember everyone coming in and and dropping acid to start the day one day, and I remember watching these guys tattoo, knowing that they were tripping on acid, and just thinking like, "Oh my god, this is insane." Really? These people are like, yeah, yeah. The craziest experience of my life. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it was, you know, I was just a kid. I was like 19, 20 years old. And, uh, uh, but I remember just thinking like, oh my God, these people are lunatics. Yeah. It was, it was, a, it was a tough environment. It wasn't, it wasn't an art focused environment, but it, it made me think that I uh, like looking at the work that was coming out and knowing that, uh, that I could draw better than those guys, even then, even though I had no real formal art training outside of high school. Um, I, I had a basic understanding of how to draw things and make them look believable. So, so I just was sticking around thinking like, well, as soon as I figure out the technical part of this, I'll blow all these guys out of the water. I'll right. be awesome. Yeah. It sounds like I couldn't wait to get out of there. <laughs> yeah. I was excited to get out of there, but, uh, but you know, I, I underestimated tattooing so much at that point because I thought that was professional tattooing. And I was like, oh man, I'll be the best tattooer in the history of Memphis if I just stick with it. Right. Of course, then I got, I started to meet people that could actually draw. I realized that I was way off, but, but early on it was encouraging to be in an environment like that just because I knew that they weren't really bringing a lot to the table. None of them could really draw that well. Right. Did you teach yourself how to like deal with clients and all that stuff? Because it sounds like they weren't really that professional. They weren't. Yeah, I didn't learn much about dealing with clients there. And that was a completely different clientele. I ended up from there. I started getting tattooed at, um, at Underground Art, which is where I ended up spending the next 15 years. And I was getting tattooed by David Evans, who was my co-host on Fireside for the first like 100 episodes. Mm -hmm. I started getting tattooed by him and he was nice enough to like let me bring up the tattoos I was doing out of my house and like tell me what I was doing wrong and uh, i was always struggling with machines and so he would help me get my machines back in tune or show him how to troubleshoot and stuff like that and so i kind of had this makeshift apprenticeship through him just because he was tattooing me and then eventually i got a phone call from underground and they were like hey we have an opening would you want to come finish your apprenticeship here and so basically i just came up and started working with those guys and that's where i really learned to work with clients because they had a much higher quality clientele right you know, it was the first custom tattoo shop in memphis so i I was able to actually sit in and listen to 
consultations. And David, he's a wizard with making people feel comfortable. Yeah, he's really great at like talking them through the challenges of the tattoo and what he thinks would work and why it would work. And he had such great bedside manner that I just basically adopted what he was doing. That's great. Yeah, that's very yeah. valuable. A lot of people yeah. underestimate that. But um, a lot of clients really don't understand that either. And that's kind of why I wanted to make this podcast also, because I could offer the artist perspective. But I also want people to understand when they walk into a shop, how they're viewed by the artist and what they can do to make that experience easier. And it shouldn't be all on the artist, you know? No, yeah, yeah. It's it's easy to forget how intimidating it is to walk into a tattoo shop. You know, when you when you work in one every day, you forget what it feels like to walk in as a client. They don't know what we expect out of them, like how much they're responsible for, how much we're responsible for. And right. tattooers don't, you know, often they don't make it very easy because it's like a client comes in with a ton of photos and a ton of reference and, and real particular ideas. It's like, oh my God, they're micromanaging this process. Mm-hmm. But if they come in and say, I want you to do whatever you want, it's like, no, hold on, I want you to have some skin in the game. It, it's an uncomfortable position to be in because they, they feel like they're wrong on both ends of the spectrum. It's like, well, if I bring in too much reference, I feel like I'm kind of controlling it. I want you to have some artistic freedom. Right. And if I bring in no reference or no ideas, then you say you want me to have some, some skin in the game. Exactly. And I, I think uh, social media kind of puts an unrealistic like expectations on the artist too. A lot of people that I've dealt with anyway, they'll come in with these digital photos and be like, I want this. Mm-hmm. And be like, yeah. well, you're not going to get that. Right. Has that been like a lot of your experience too? Like since you've been more involved in social media? Yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, the clientele has definitely become a lot more educated. They see what great tattoos look like, but then they also see what a lot of these Photoshop tattoos look like. So they'll bring in stuff that's completely unreasonable or you know that the tattoo doesn't actually look like that like the blacks have been saturated so much and they've gone in and they've pulled out all these white highlights in the in the photo Mm -hmm. like it's glowing and it's like yeah and i can do something like that but you got to know it's a tattoo at the end of the day exactly you know it's less black than that and it's less white than that that's just the way it goes exactly tattoo truth fairy is probably my my favorite page to follow right now yeah yeah it's fantastic i'll get tagged in in photos just from like family members and friends when they see really what they consider amazing tattoos they'll tag me and be like oh my god have you seen this and it's funny how often they're not even tattoos it'll be like an overlay a digital design it's like it's a concept for a tattoo but the people see it they're like oh my god it looks crazy it looks real right well yeah it's because it's not actually tattooed yet it's just a picture (laughs) yeah and then they think that when they get a tattoo it'll last like that forever (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so how do you deal with difficult clients if you're not seeing eye to eye on like something that's unrealistic? Man, I have been so lucky in that I've just gotten to where I dodged them. I'm a, for lack of a better term, like kind of a big fish in a small pond in Memphis. Memphis is not a huge tattoo town. There are some really solid tattooers here, but none of them have a tattoo podcast. I've set up my work environment in a way that it's very boutique-y. So they're like, I'm in a private studio. It's just me. I have um, you know, that my, my booking system is very fluid and automated and I try to have everything set up for that client. Like I have snacks, I have drinks, I have Netflix, I have classical music, I have whatever they need. And so I've created an environment where I can be really selective because there are plenty of people that want to be a part of that environment, but I can only take maybe 20% of them. Right. Uh, so I, I weed a lot of it out before I even get to a consultation. A lot of it's done through a little form you fill out, basically robbed of the form from like guys like Russ Abbott and Steve Moore and, and guys who I know who get pushed out a long ways. I just, I went in and screenshotted their application form and just made my own from it. Right. So I'm able to like weed out a lot of people on the front end. And by the time they get to getting tattooed, I, I just don't ever deal with difficult people. I'm sure earlier in your career, you probably have. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It comes back to that bedside manner. Just um, 
not uh, so I've, I've worked around tattooers that were like someone comes in they have an idea and the tattooer goes like yeah you can't really do that and then that's the end you know and, mm-hmm. and there's nothing more to it and then and then suddenly there's this wall up between them and so what I would always try to do is like meet them where they were and be like oh yeah that's a cool idea but what I'm afraid of is you've got so many things happening right there that that I'm not going to know where to look when we finish this tattoo like there's too much going on so why don't we just establish a hierarchy. And we'll grab the most important element and then we'll work backwards from there. If, if you can just talk it through with them, talk through the challenges, um, then they start to see it your way. And they almost always give up control at that point. They'll just be like, OK, you've obviously done this before. I want it to look awesome. Do what you do with it. Right. Uh, you know, and if they don't, you know, sometimes it's it's not worth it to, to deal with a client that's, that's being difficult in the face of reason. You yeah. Know? <laughs> sometimes you got to know when to walk away. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, but they, that, yeah. it's true. I, I actually just listened to your podcast with Adam Stoner, one of the ones mm-hmm. he did recently. And he was talking about like people who came up and they're like, oh, how do you do this? And, you know, he's like, well, that's three sessions worth. And people don't understand the yeah. time that goes into it. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so important to let people know that stuff, to verbalize that. Like, I, I almost never do anything in a single session anymore. And I know people who do. I know people who just knock it out of the park in their first session. Everything is saturated and it's, and blends are beautiful and lines are beautiful. And, and there are definitely plenty of tattooers that do that. I found early on that that wasn't my strong suit. I like to sneak up on things. I like to layer. I like to get full saturation in a couple of sessions. I like to save my line weight, my all my final line work until the very end so I can punch it back out the way that I want it. And um, and I just try to tell some clients out on the front end. like, So I do a lot of these like painted flowers where it looks like kind of like chunky oil paint and stuff. And um, and people come to me for that and, and they'll just want a single sunflower. And I just tell them on the front end, like the reason that it looks like a unique sunflower is because I did it in two sittings and not one. Right. right. Yeah. It, it helps you too, because it helps you see how the tones heal and like it, uh-huh. you could be working with difficult skin and like, mm-hmm. or something that they do not, that, not to not take care of it well. So there's a lot of different yeah. variables that go into it. So let's get more into about you. Like, what do you do outside of tattooing and other aspects of your life? I know the podcast probably takes up most of your time too. While yeah, you know. I travel a lot for the podcast, and I've tried to get that down where I just travel over a set number of months. Uh, we travel kind of heavy in the spring. We're in Memphis, Tennessee, and about three hours from here is a town called Heber Springs in Arkansas. It's like right at the kind of the Ozarks, and there's a beautiful lake called Greer's Ferry, and we have a houseboat there. So in the summer. We try to spend our, our weekends on the houseboat. So I try to do all of my tattoo podcast traveling, like from February through early May okay. and then take the summer off so that I can actually get to the boat uh, on the weekends in the summer. And then sometimes we'll pick back up in the fall and, and, and travel a little bit more. So yeah, that, that's about it for the podcast. And then beyond that, I've run another business. I've got, uh, I've got about 60 single family houses here in Memphis and then a couple of office really? buildings as well. So. Yeah, so I deal with this uh, real estate company a a decent amount. And my wife, about a year, year and a half ago, quit her full-time job to help me with the real estate side so I could focus more on the podcasting and digital products and all that kind of stuff. Good for you, bro. That's awesome. Yeah. It's 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 building up over there. It is. Yeah. I was just in Nashville for my my bachelor party, but it's incredible. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Nashville's super cool, man. They've really come so far with that city. When I was a kid, I thought that was like the podunk small town. Mm-hmm. And Memphis was the big city, and it's completely flip flop now. <laughs> Nashville just is it's booming; it's crazy. Yeah, I, I need to make it out to Memphis. I always wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Memphis is still cooler than Nashville. It's a better it's a better city. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's grittier, you know. It's like uh, better food, you know. It's blues blues music instead of country music. I'm partial, <laughs> but I think Memphis is the better city. Nice. So you said before that you were a, a big fish in a small pond. Who was like the the biggest name to ever like 
walk through your door like the coolest person you ever tattooed? Oh, that I've tattooed? Uh, a lot of my clients are super cool, but I've tattooed. Um, so uh, years ago, I did onset art for a movie called um, Black Snake Moan uh, that uh, was like Daniel L. Jackson and Christina Ricci. And so I tattooed Christina Ricci. No. Uh, so that was cool. <laughs> I love her. Uh, yeah, me too. Me too. She was awesome. Uh, and then um, probably the biggest name that I tattooed celebrities or people that, uh, that other people would know, um, Tim Howard. So he was... Uh, the starting goalkeeper for Manchester United for a while and then Everton. And he's been the goalkeeper for uh, the U.S. national team for years and years. But his family lives here. Uh, and he, he just uh, actually retired from Denver, the Colorado Rapids. Uh, anyway, he, yeah, so he, he's a famous athlete. And um, that's probably my two biggest, my two biggest names. That's awesome. That's yeah. How was it working on a movie set? Oh, it's cool. I've done that a handful of times over the years. You know, it's kind of like summer camp. You're just working crazy hours for a really short period of time and you get to know people really well and then they scatter Then it's over. Right. Uh, it's a it's a weird kind of work environment it, and the hours are long. I was working with the props department on a couple of movies and uh, basically just onset artists, which is putting out fires wherever they need it put out. <laughs> you know, right. Like, so it's like on the fly creativity. It was a lot of fun. It's not something I'll probably ever do again. Uh, <laughs> time wouldn't allow it, but I did enjoy it in my early and mid twenties. It was, it was cool. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I love that movie. <laughs> it's awesome. Oh, have you seen it? Black Saint Moon? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. It's so you know what my full-time gig was on that? Not really full-time, but what I spent the most time doing, there was a chunk of time in that movie where Christina Ricci is chained up in Sam Jackson's house out in the woods. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we had all of this chain and the chain that was actually around her body was really lightweight plastic chain. And then the rest of the chain was like metal chain right? because they needed the sound when she drug it around. And so my job was just to steadily keep all of that chain looking like it was old and rusty. So I had like black plastic chains, a bright silver chain, and all of it needed to look rusted <laughs> out. And she's dragging it around constantly. So it's always chipping up. So I literally, for like a month, I just painted chain like three <laughs> times a day. <laughs> That's awesome. How did, you, how did you fall into it? Did you like contact them or did they like contact no, you? No, man, I, I've got a friend, a, a roommate of mine when, uh, from when we were in our late teens, early 20s, who got into working props. And that's what he does his whole career. He's been a, a movie guy. And um, so he would just pull me in when they needed onset art kind of stuff. So I would come in and work for like a day or two here and there. And then with Black Snake Moan, he was like, I really need just an onset artist for 10 weeks or whatever it is. It was earlier on in my tattoo career. So I wasn't booked real far or anything. So I was able just to close my books out and jump on a movie set for a couple of months. And it was cool. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's great. That sounds like an awesome experience. Yeah, it was. Going back to what you were saying, like you travel a lot, you go to conventions and you speak to a lot of like pretty heavy hitters in the game. Is there anything yeah. like that you dislike about the tattoo industry as it stands now or like how has it changed for um, you? Or? Do I dislike about it? I'm, I'm sure there are some things. Overall, I just it's so far beyond what I, where I ever thought it would go that I'm just like so proud to have been a part of it and watch the transition take place. There's There are a lot of opinions and a lot of egos, you know, in, in mm-hmm. tattooing, uh, but I think that's like part of its charm. I think, uh, you know, I like that people are real stuck in their ways sometimes and yeah. you get to have fun conversations with people who think that drawing on an iPad is ridiculous, or they still haven't ever tried a rotary machine, you know, and they're uh, tattooing loyal to the coil on their hands and stuff. It's just like, they're, they're wrong. <laughs> but, but I love that they're all about it, you know? That's great. So who's who's your biggest influence today then? Uh, man, I, I bounce around a little bit, um, but I have been infatuated with Steve Moore. Uh, get more tattoos. Uh, he's in uh, Vancouver Island, British Columbia. He's never been on the show 
and I really don't know him. I crossed paths with him. I'm embarrassed to say I, I podcasted in Italy at, in Venice back when Gabe Ripley and and Gerb Morrison and Alex Apasse did um what was it called? Oh, the Venetian Tattoo Gathering is what they called it. It, it, it was like kind of like the worldwide tattoo conference where it was a bunch of uh, it was a bunch of uh, people doing seminars, and then they had like maybe 20 or 30 booths that were just the best tattooers in the world. They did it in a palace in Venice, and I crossed paths with Steve there. He was tattooing, and he did like a yoga seminar, and I knew his name, but I didn't know his work at that point, so I didn't reach out to him to podcast on that trip, and since then, he's just become like my favorite tattooer, and I keep kicking myself that I didn't grab him that day. I just didn't know his work well enough at that point. Oh, yeah. Well, I got to check uh, him out now. I've never heard of him. Oh, man. He's he's one of the best. Uh, I, I love like large scale illustrative tattooers. Andy Chambers is someone I really like. He's actually starting a back piece on me next month. I was super influenced by by Baxter and Jeff Insminger and Guy Aitchison and and all those guys in the late nineties and early two thousands. Yeah, and then you know the same as everyone else, like Philip Lou seemed like larger than life. Everyone that I set out to interview when I started Fireside, I've interviewed except for Philip Lou. He's the last one that I haven't crossed paths with. Very cool. Did you, well, you, you did you start like cold calling people, or was it just really just based on experiences that you've met them at? Like- I started since we were doing all of ours video. Um, I just started going to convention and walking up to their booths and asking if they would come on the show, and it worked pretty well um, because we were face to face. And at that point, you didn't get calls from magazines or podcasts it was early on so, you know just asking for an interview tattooers were just like what i don't know if it was pre-ink master but it had to have been early on it was 2013 tattoo celebrities weren't really a big thing i guess at that point and so i would just go up and ask people if they would come on my podcast and of course no one thought of a podcast at that point as being video based they thought it was like what you and i are doing right now right it's all audio and uh so when they would show up at my booth and there would be cameras set up they were like, uh, what are the cameras for? <laughs> so we have more than one person sit down with us, see the cameras, and just be like, oh, never mind. I don't want to be on camera. Really? Walk away. Yeah. yeah. That must have been so frustrating. <laughs> it was. I was like, come on. Like, you're already here. Just sit down. Forget about the camera. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm, I'm learning myself. I haven't had a lot of real hard no's yet, but a lot of people are like hesitant because they're yeah. like shy or they don't want to get it going, which is why I'm. Happy I reached out to you first because you know you're a good personality. It's cool. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. That, that, that is the challenge. And you'll find like, like some of the people that you you love their work and you look up to them and you have so many questions you want to ask, you'll find that they're like one word answer people mm-hmm. and they're very uncomfortable in their own skin. And it just turns into like a grind to get through some of those interviews and you really have to fill space and you know, time sure. on your yeah. own, you know? Yeah, and it's tough, like, speaking to someone you've never known. Like, we've never met before. Right. This is the first time I'm hearing your voice outside of your own podcast. So it's, yeah, it's a cool yeah. experience. I'm looking forward yeah. to where this could go. But <laughs> Yeah, man, absolutely. I, I love it. You know, there it seems like people send me links to, to tattoo podcasts, and it seems like there are quite a few of them these days. And I haven't listened to all of them, but I do love that there are more and more voices out there. When we started, there was a guy, oh, what was his name? He's a New York guy as well, I think. Um Carmelo, Keith Carmelo. Uh, he was doing one called The Tattoo Mentor. And I listened to a few of those. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. And then there was us. And then Off the Map Live started right around the same time as us. But there were almost no like tattoo voices out there, like people just starting conversations. Right. And so I love that there are more and more people out there just like sharing their ideas and doing interviews and asking interesting questions. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. And it's cool just to meet your favorite artist or like you'll never get the chance to meet your favorite artist. It's good to hear his stories and like you almost feel like when you're listening to a podcast that like that's your friend yeah he's talking to me or, or something like that 
I just find this really cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I love going through, and I've, it's gotten now, unfortunately, we've got so much content on YouTube that I can't keep up with comments anymore. Anytime I click on, on our YouTube channel, we'll, we'll have like, no exaggeration, like three or four or 500 comments that I haven't yet read. And that's just so overwhelming that I'm like, ah, I don't even want to look at them. <laughs> but I used to really love to look at them because people would get stuff out of interviews that I never got. And so I would read someone's comment and be like, oh, yeah, I didn't think of when they said that. I didn't think of it that way. And it would introduce like a whole new idea of an interview that I was part of. You know what I mean? Like, right. I was listening to it and I didn't catch it the same way that a viewer or a listener caught it. And so I, I yeah, I, I love that stuff. man. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. And then you get like some new material for next time. And you're like, oh, wow, I didn't think yeah, of it like that. Yeah. I like this guy, this question this time. Exactly. Oh, yeah. You get so many ideas for new questions to ask or new sub. And then if you just stick with it and keep putting the episodes out there, people will start telling you what they want to know. And that's a game changer. Then, you, then you're not just taking stabs in the dark. You're like, right. okay, I know for sure that five people mentioned last month that they want to know more about that subject that we touched on. So the next interview you do, you just introduce that subject. Right. It's its own learning curve. Yeah, exactly. So you're so much more comfortable talking about stuff that you know for sure that your viewers want or your listeners want to hear uh, than, uh, than just like, asking questions that, that interest you. Right. So, right. Yeah. Very cool. I also, I also love your style too. I check out your Instagram page and it's a very oh, unique thanks. style. But hey, I appreciate it. Thank you, you. Yeah. I never know, you know, I always feel like I don't, I don't have a particular style and then someone will say like, Oh, that's way less swirly than your, what you normally do. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, I didn't know what I normally did with that swirly. And you people will start telling you what they see and you know, in your work and you're like, Oh, well that's cool. That, I mean, I guess that means it actually is genuinely your style at that point when you don't recognize it and other people do. Right. Yeah. You have something very specific about your work too. And I was going to ask you to, I'm, I'm not sure if like you fell into it or if it was intended, but, um, did you develop that over time or it's just like stuff that you just really wanted to do and it kind of just, you know, became what you did? Yeah, I, I guess it just developed over time. Whatever it is that I do that people find unique, I can't put my finger on it other than it is just what happens whenever I look at the same piece over two or three or four sittings and I, and I layer and I layer and, uh, and eventually it gets to a point where I go like, yeah, that's about what I was thinking. Right. That's it. I mean, I'd, I'd love, I'd love to pick your brain and like, see how like you go from concept to design, you know, to completed product it's so specific that i feel like it's a different way of thinking how do you come to that in your head do you draw and freehand some stuff so i start with uh, just to make sure that i'm doing something that's unique to me i don't start with reference very often because what i find is like there's so much great photo reference these days that i'll end up trying to mimic something that's really cool about a photo just you know mm -hmm. without realizing it typically when someone comes to me a consultation and they're like you know i want this and this and this and there are two or three elements I, just something pops in my head something mm -hmm. that, that i'm like okay i can see i can arrange this this will sit on the front of your deltoid and then that would sweep down and maybe i can use these fern leaves that i you've been using a lot lately to separate this from that i'll just kind of visualize as they're talking what i think might work right uh, and then i just start with the photograph of their arm i just pull it either the ipad or the cintiq and just start with black on skin tone and i just make very abstract large shapes mm -hmm. and just try to work from general to specific and then once i get a basic composition laid out like i know that the rose is sitting this way and I know that the pocket watch is sitting this way, then I'll go to Pinterest or wherever and I'll try to find reference that matches the layout. Yeah. So at that point, the, the, the reference that I pulled has a limited influence on me. It helps me to see what makes it look believable. Like it helps me to see how the light hits it and where the shadows are and where the highlights are and all right. that kind of stuff. But I'm not going to like go overboard trying to perfectly copy that flower or that pocket watch or whatever, because I've already got a rough layout. I've already got an hour invested in the layout. 
And right. so I use it more just for reference and not for trying to copy. I've got a bad habit of it. If someone just wants a plain rose, then the next thing I know, I'm trying to be Phil Garcia. And I'm trying to get like this little water droplet to look perfect on a rose because the photo has a water droplet on it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, man, there wasn't even supposed to be a water droplet. I just happened to find a rose that had a cool water droplet. Now I'm trying to mimic it. And none of it is me. You know, right. it's all just trying to right. reproduce this photo. Uh, and I don't mean that as a slight to Phil Garcia. I, I meant that as a compliment. He's awesome at that stuff. <laughs> and I can't do that stuff. So it's like, right. you know, uh, well, I was wondering, so, yeah, I mean, at, yeah, at this point in your career, like you could pretty much pick and choose, but at some point, I'm sure when someone came in and they're like, I want that rose with the water droplet and all that stuff, like, yeah, I would just try to do it. Some kind of compromise. Yeah, no, I just tried to, yeah, for years, I just tried to do whatever they, whatever they wanted. You know, in the nineties and even early two thousands, I'd say all the way up to like 05, 06, there were some people that specialized, like guy was already the bio organic guy or whatever. And, uh, th- there were a handful of people that were doing really specific things but the rest of us you didn't like come on the scene and specialize in anything right whatever it was it was just like oh yeah i, I lettering that's what i do yeah i do lettering <laughs> like tribal yeah i'm a tribal guy that's what i do yeah so you just you did whatever had to be done at that point so yeah back then it wasn't about trying to put my unique thumbprint on any one piece it was about just trying to make it the cleanest you know best looking piece i could that's one of the biggest things that's changed over the last 10 or 15 years is we've gone from just trying to make a clean tattoo that looks like what the client brought in to putting something out that fits our brand. Yeah. So when people are flipping through Instagram and they see it, they're like, oh yeah, I know exactly who did that without looking at the name. Mm-hmm. That's what we're all trying to do now, I think. And, and that just wasn't a thing that was even, in my mind, it wasn't even considered you know, back then. Yeah. I have, I have this conversation with my brother who I work with in the shop and the internet is the new flash in my opinion. Yeah. And people yeah. come in and like, you could, you could tweak certain things here and there, but most of the time, like you said earlier, the clientele's very educated, so they know exactly what they want. And unless you're a guy who specializes in something, they they pretty much want that, you know? Yeah. And it's like you have yeah. to do your best to like put your own spin on it. And it's mm-hmm. hard to do that, especially early in the game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the way to think about that stuff is like, whatever the subject matter is, I've been doing this seminar lately called Find Your Style. And I went, I did it up in uh, Fargo, North Dakota just recently. And we, and it was a small group. There were only like eight people in the seminar, so, which I loved because you get a lot of back and forth with that. And like half of them had only been tattooing like two years and a couple of them been tattooing for a longer period of time. And we were talking about how to develop your style when you're still bending to the client's every whim or every desire. Mm-hmm. The client wants you know, a mandala on their forearm or whatever it is. And like, you may not be the person that does, you know, mandalas, but you have to do it because you got to pay the bills. And so you're you're doing a mandala. So they want a mandala on the forearm and they bring you reference. I think you have to set yourself like little goals of what you want out of each tattoo. So they want a mandala, but what if you want the center of that mandala to glow and then the outer part of it to be dark and then it'll be cast shadows from where the glow is or whatever. You like set your own, like set your own goals within it. Well, they don't care. You know, they, they don't know that you're even doing that. Right. They're just like, oh, that's cool. I like how it's glowing in the middle. That's how you win your little battles. You, you set yourself challenges that'll keep you interested during a tattoo, even if it's a tattoo that you don't plan to pursue going forward. Like if I never want to do another mandala, I can still set a real specific little goal for myself with this mandala. I want to figure out how to make cast shadows look look real, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and, and so I'm going to set a little like glowing center of this mandala. And then as it goes out, I'm going to make the cast shadows get longer. And as it gets closer to the light source, they're going to be smaller cast shadows and more intense. You know what I mean? Sharper yeah. edge. That's actually a really cool way to look at it. Yeah. So whatever the tattoo is, is irrelevant. You set yourself a drawing goal within that tattoo. And then suddenly you'll find some tricks within that cast shadow thing that you're trying to explore. And you can apply it to everything that you do. And then before you know it, 
people recognize that you always do those cool cast shadows, no matter what the subject matter is. Very cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I've never looked at it like that. Yeah. So it's almost like a little bit of you in it. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So you're, you're putting your own thumbprint on it, no matter what, because you set a goal that had nothing to do with the subject. Matter. Your goal was making light reveal form. And whether that was a mandala or whether it was a rose or whether it was a lady with a wolf on her head, it doesn't matter. Like mm-hmm. you, you, you made a nice, like strong light source and all the shadows made sense with it. That was your goal. So if you never do another lady with a wolf on her head, which I hope no one ever does another one, uh, you, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Those, there are some good ones out there. You solve that problem of like, oh, okay, I figure out how to make that shadow look, look cool or look believable. And now I can take that little bit of knowledge and I can apply it to the rose that I do next week. Right. That's great advice. I'm definitely going to do that in my next uh, mandala awesome. piece or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I hope you do. Yeah, let me know. Let me know how it goes. I will. So we're about coming to the end. So I'll let you go. I know you have to be somewhere. So yeah, I've got a flag football game for a <laughs> nine-year-old. It's going to be awesome. Where can uh, where can people best reach you? Instagram. I'm at Plug Ugly Art. There's also at Fireside Tattoo that one of my camera guys kind of runs and Plug Ugly Art is probably the place you'll be seen first if you send a direct message or something like that. Um, or plugugglyart at gmail.com is the best email. That's probably the two best ways to get me. Is there anything you're, you're working on right now? I know you said you were doing seminars and stuff that you want people to know about. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to build that seminar out. So if anyone is running a tattoo show, if you're putting on conventions and looking for people to do seminars, I'm trying to, I'm super comfortable in front of a camera these days. I'm less comfortable in front of actual faces. So I'm trying to get better at that. So I'd like to do more live seminars. Uh, just to kind of feel out and get that instant feedback of whether or not what I'm saying resonates. So uh, I'd like to do more live seminars and I'm working on a, a course through Fireside that we're calling the Apprentices Toolkit. And it will be, if you've ever watched any of our Fireside Technique videos where it's kind of like an over the shoulder camera view and I'm kind of uh, voiceovering what I'm thinking as I'm solving problems in a tattoo, it'll be that, but on a very basic level of like why you would want to build up line weights and and how to build them up and why uh, you would want one color more intense than another color and how to do that technically. So it, it, I'm hoping it's, it turns out as kind of a balance of drawing and technique uh, is, is the goal. I don't mean it at all to replace an apprenticeship. I don't think that, that YouTube can replace an apprenticeship, but I, uh, I would like it to supplement apprenticeships. The one thing that I've found with, with all of our feedback for Fireside over the years, there are a lot of people that are trying to learn to tattoo in really difficult environments. People that have bad mentors or that have, you know, there are five apprentices in, in the same shop and, and everyone's struggling. So mm-hmm. what I would like is to be able to help those folks out to supplement a, a traditional apprenticeship. That's awesome. That's great. I yeah. wish I wish you were doing that around the time that I was <laughs> yeah. looking up YouTube videos and stuff like that. <laughs> but very cool. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> hopefully hopefully it's out soon it's a lot of work it really is uh so it, it's kind of coming together slowly i'm having to do it in my spare time but but i hope i hope it's out uh it, it'll be out this next year it'll be out in 2020 at some point very cool well if you're ever in new york too and you want a guest spot we'll be happy to have you what's the name of your shop attempted inc in brooklyn new york awesome yeah man i'd love to i love new york all right well, maybe i'll catch you at a convention sometime we could catch up and shoot the shit awesome sounds great man well thanks <laughs> thanks for thanks for taking the time jake i really appreciate it absolutely thank you that wraps it up with jake meets you can find more about what jake is working on at firesidetattoo.com on fireside tattoo network on youtube and on instagram at plug ugly art tune in next week where we speak with jake gordon from morgantown west virginia and he talks about growing pains we didn't really knock on the door we kind of more or less beat on the door mm-hmm and the dude came out with a gun. And, and his experience with a client in an extreme situation. His skin was like greenish gray. And the person's like, is he breathing? 
We have an ambulance on the way. Is he breathing? Spilled Ink is produced by Fulton Street Music Group. Our producers are Cleo Kolitsopoulos and Alex Fulton. Our music is by Cat Blaster. I'm your host, Mike Maldonado. Follow us on Instagram at Spilled Ink Official.